It will. It's me, Justin, and you're listening to the Important Cinema Club. Vern doesn't have a voice. <laughs> I'm not Vern. I'm Ernest. I know, but I'm Vern in this equation. So. Oh, so you can't reply. Whoa. Hey, Justin, are, are you standing at the top of a ladder? <laughs> what if I accidentally tipped it over? Whoa. Whoa. Today we're going to be talking about one of the comedy giants in film history. And that's Ernest himself, Jim Varney. Very important for a young Justin the Clue and an adult Will Sloan, correct? <laughs> I was an Ernest super fan as a child, so much so that I even owned a denim vest. In, you did not. Yes, I did. In, in homage to uh, Mr. Worrell. Like as a child or as like an adult? As, a, as a child. I don't think I would wear a denim vest anymore. Would you get that? Did you want the hat as well so you could be like pure Ernest? Well, I had a variety of hats. And, <laughs> and I, you know, just as a kid, you have baseball caps. And I'm pretty sure I had a gray t-shirt, so I definitely cosplayed Ernest at times. <laughs> now, would you do Ernest bits or stuff like that? Because, like, what defines in your eyes Ernest? Oh, um... I mean, he rambles. Yeah. He says words wrong. Uh, they, Vern shuts the uh, window on his fingers. Uh, would you ask your parents to do those bits for you? <laughs> like, No, I, you know, I don't think... I don't... Th- <laughs> you know, I'm trying to look back. I don't think my Ernest cosplaying, my dressing as Ernest exactly extended to me doing an impression of him because Uh-oh. the thing is there's only one Ernest. Jim Varney. Yeah, rest rest in power. When I was a kid, I must have seen all the Ernest films and I have no memory of them except for Ernest Scared Stupid. And at the time, I remember going to the video store and it felt like there was like a million Ernest films, like they never ended. I'm like, slam dunk, Ernest. Ernest goes to Africa. Man, this is a well that will never go dry. Well, I had an intimate relationship with every Ernest movie. Everyone. Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, there were some that I liked more than others. When I was a kid, I was of the opinion that slam dunk Ernest and Ernest goes to school were the bad ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the other ones I liked. All the other ones. All the other ones. So for people that don't know, I don't know why you're listening to an Ernest. His P. Worrell episode, but he's a character that was played by Jim Varney. He starred in nine movies total. Does that include the uh, semi canonical Dr. Otto and the Riddle of the Gloom Beam? That does not. That would bring it to 10. Okay. All of them, except for one of the Ernest pictures, was directed by John Cherry III. And Ernest, the character, actually got started in commercials. That's correct. Uh, In all of the commercials, they followed a very similar format. The POV, the camera's point of view, was of Ernest's long-suffering neighbor, Vern. And in every commercial, Vern would be minding his own business, and then uh, Jim Varney as Ernest would run up to him and say, Hey, Vern, what's that you're drinking? Is it just normal milk? Well, you should try this other dairy product. Or he'd say, uh, what what are you drinking that old soft drink for? Why not try Mellow Yellow? Hey, Bird, are you having trouble procreating with your wife? (laughs) It didn't matter what the product was. Jim Varney, as Ernest, would just shill for it. All these commercials, if you look at them online, they're all one take, as Will said, from the POV of Vern. It's a wide-angle lens to make Ernest's face funnier, and they would shoot, like, 22 in a day at, at times. I read one article that said they made 4,000 commercials in total, you know, for, for all markets across the U.S. And they were very rarely national commercials. They were local commercials, so they would play in, like, one town or one maybe county or something like that, but they usually 
wouldn't go past that. So these commercials were seen eventually in every market because you do 4,000 commercials and sooner or later you're going to get one in your hometown. And Ernest became a beloved figure in America. Even though John Cherry would say to the uh, clients that at first people are going to be a little bit weirded out by this Ernest character. Supposedly it would scare small children at first. But then they'll grow to love him, like a friend or a neighbor. The commercials are very intense because it's Vern's point of view. That means that Jim Varney's uh, rubbery face is, you know, in very close proximity to the camera. Whether, again, he's telling you not to smoke, which he did in a lot of a bunch of PSA commercials. Yes. Where he told Vern, the smoker, put those down because you're going to die one day if you do those, which would later come up in Jim Varney's life. Wow, that's very tra- sad. But the transition of commercial star to film star is a really weird one. So it was in 1985 at uh, an Indianapolis 500 event where there were a lot of celebrities there. And the only celebrity who got a huge cheer from the audience was Jim Varney as Ernest. And uh, apparently Michael Eisner and Jeffrey Katzenberg of the Walt Disney Corporation were in the audience. And Eisner was like, who the fuck's this guy? Why is everybody cheering this guy? And they said, well, hey, if they like him, let's uh, let's give him a shot in pictures. That's a crazy story. Yeah. The fact that he actually got to play the Ernest character in a like big budget studio movie. Uh, big budget. Well, it cost a few million dollars to make. Yeah. So it wasn't like a shot locally released locally picture. So this first, so there were a couple of attempts before Ernest goes to camp to launch the Ernest franchise. There was a TV special called Hey Vern, It's My Family Album. Um, have you ever seen it? No, I haven't. It is nuts. Um, it's this, yeah, this hour-long special where Ernest talks about all his old dead relatives, and it cuts to, like, a Davy Worrell, and it cuts to um, Rat Worrell. Wow, that makes a lot of sense when meanest... I was scrolling through that Wikipedia page that <laughs> said, the history of <laughs> Ernest's family tree. Yeah. Rat Worrell, the meanest card shark on the Mississippi. Uh, there, there's one where he's Ace Worrell, the army... Uh, uh, the army guy and, and as a special it's unusually unfunny it's like anti-comedy almost and just an excuse for jim varney to do a bunch of characters yeah. right so i mean it's kind of it's kind of like you're not laughing but it's like you're in this earnest world where all the halls of hall of mirrors are reflecting earnest <laughs> Even before (laughs) Ernest was Ernest. Because as a character in these commercials, other than him being friendly and just talking as if he's by himself, he doesn't really have character or needs or wants because it's just whatever he has to shill. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter if it's dairy or if it's a bank account. (laughs) (laughs) Ernest is all in. So they decided to make a movie called Ernest Goes to Camp. I like how you say they decided to make a movie called Ernest Goes to Camp. They, they've heard of Ernest Goes to Camp. Well, I don't know. I, I don't think I had ever seen it before watching it for this episode. Really? Yes. Well, this is the Ernest movie. This is the, the one that everyone has seen. I had no memory of it while I was watching. Ernest Goes to Camp is not what you expect an Ernest film to be. I think of the wide-angle lenses, the cheapness of it that would appear later on in the direct-to-video films. But this is one that actually feels like a movie. It's shot in 235. <laughs> yeah. Like there's an actual cast and a plot that Ernest is involved in. Not a bunch of weird subplots that Ernest shows up for 20% of. There are characters. Yes. Um, there's that. Well, okay. So the plot is that Ernest is the groundskeeper or maybe he's a caretaker 
at Camp Kikakee. And uh, in an early scene, we see him uh, using a plunger on a toilet. And there's a great moment when he looks in the toilet and then he looks at the camera and he goes, eh, so but he really dreams of being a camp counselor. But the people who run Camp Kikiki determine that he is not competent enough to be a camp counselor because he is a uh, man child uh, who probably has some problems. Now, what this movie does so perfectly that they seem to shear away from the earnest character is that he's an actual underdog that everybody knows is stupid, but they still learn to love him because he's very lovable in the way that he acts. So Ernest gets his big shot at being a counselor when he is tasked with caring for a group of disadvantaged youth from the local uh, reformatory uh, who come to be at camp, and they're really cool-looking kids. One of them's got a halter top. (laughs) (laughs) They're all wearing halter tops, like, all seven of them. That seemed to be, like, a a kind of a fashionable thing amongst kind of bad kids in the 80s, halter tops. (laughs) And so Ernest has difficulty trying to befriend these kids and get them to love nature and stuff like that. And what's interesting is that the kids kind of torture Ernest throughout the film yeah and they keep being told by other adults like why are you doing this to this poor single man child (laughs) until they finally kind of like get on his side in a believable way in the sense that like it's not instantly I think the turning point is when Ernest is talking to his beloved pet turtle and the turtle bites him on the nose and 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 stays on his nose and all the kids come in and they all work together to calm down the turtle well that's because they feel bad for they gave him a pot that had poison ivy in it, which an Ernest put in his face over and over <laughs> again to smell. So, you know, they decided, we'll treat this man-child a little bit more nicely. But but complications arise when the evil developers... Played by John Vernon. John Vernon. <laughs> actually, it's a mining company. They determine that they want to buy and drill in Camp Kikiki. And there is an indigenous elder who has the deed to the land and... They uh, hoodwink him into signing over the land. And in fact, they convince Ernest, they trick Ernest into hoodwinking the indigenous elder. And so Ernest uh, says, well, I'm going to stand up to these to these evil developers. The reason we've been building up the plot so much is for this one scene that defines <laughs> Ernest goes to camp. There's a scene where, so the construction workers, the, the demolition people are there and Ernest says... Yeah, come on, let's go mano a mano. And this big tough guy beats Ernest to a bloody pulp. Like, not (laughs) comedy Three Stooges beating. Like, Ernest is injured. There's blood on his face and bruises. We see him uh, crying on the ground. We see uh, a, a painful scene when he's at the first aid office. And the nurse is putting bandages on him. And he's like, I just don't know what to do anymore. And he's cr- he's crying it very intensely. Uh, and then he sings <laughs> a straight song. Gee, I'm glad it's raining. <laughs> so good. Uh, yeah. So uh, this is a scene. And I don't mean that ironically. Yeah. Like, I genuinely enjoyed this stuff. <laughs> and we didn't mention that the film also has, like, a bunch of really fun slapstick. Like, Jim Varney... As he would often be tasked to do, has to sell these gags. Like, I'm being bit by fire ants. He's like, oh! At one point, he fights like a muskrat that you never see that's out of frame. There's the scene where he gets his feet burned in the campfire. (laughs) I'm not even sure how to describe the process by which he gets... Oh, also, there's the unforgettable subplot involving Exeronius. 
uh, with featuring Gaylord Sartain, famous character actor and earnest franchise veteran <laughs> Gaylord Sartain as the wacky cook and Daniel Butler as his assistant. And they create a horrible uh, concoction called Exeronius. These scenes are uh, pretty wacky. Yeah, but they're not as bad as Ernest Saves Christmas. I just want to say a word about Daniel Butler. Daniel Butler went on to host America's Dumbest Criminals. Mm. Have you ever seen that show? No. That was a show that was syndicated a lot in the in the late 90s, early 2000s. Quite a career. And it ends as many 80s films do, as this picture was made in 87, I believe, with them fighting off those evil developers by blowing up their camp. <laughs> they, they, the, the kids and Ernest... And the elder build this giant contraption, this big wheelie contraption with catapults and stuff, where they fire turtles with parachutes, which all bite all the construction workers' noses, and they throw Exeronius at them. And this this is the scene that when you're a kid, you're just in heaven during, like this wacky, wacky food fight Even bullshit. at the end when John Vernon uh, shows up with a gun and starts firing at Ernest. <laughs> He's going to try to literally murder <laughs> Ernest, but Ernest is a this point protected by the great spirit there's a bit of like kind of i wouldn't call it racist exactly but uh, uh, stereotyping some, yeah some condescending treatment of the indigenous cultures this movie uh, is is a hard movie to hate it's one of the most competent of the earnest films i don't love it as much as i loved it when i was a child it's pretty lame i really liked it okay i i, I thought that <laughs> After watching Ernest Saves Christmas, which was like needles in my penis, <laughs> and then getting to watch Ernest Goes to Camp, which not only feels like a real movie, Jim Varney gets to do a bunch of slapstick. Yeah. I was engaged. I wanted to see him succeed. Okay. So by the end, I was like, oh, wow, this is good. Three and a half stars out of five. <laughs> it's a little a little generous, I think. But uh, Is it? Because audiences ate it up. Audiences ate it up, and... I think one thing that I'm maybe missing when I view the movie as an adult is when I was a kid, there's a certain amount of lifestyle porn to a movie like Ernest Goes to Camp. Like when you're a kid, the idea of going to camp is super cool. Mm. Do you remember on YTV, there was this show called Camp Caribou? No. You know, our American listeners uh, will, (laughs) will be baffled by this, but it was just like this like cool camp show about being at camp and creating crafts out of bark and stuff and going canoeing and and you know Ernest goes to camp taps into that um did you ever end up going to camp yeah I did and I hated it (laughs) and also just as an adult like you know going to camp it's not a pie in the sky thing anymore so uh, the glamour of Ernest goes to camp is not there for me anymore and the wacky faces that Ernest pulls didn't make you laugh like they once did when he's like whoa and he falls over which he does Hundreds of times in this film. Well, the scene where he looks into the toilet and then he looks at the camera and he goes, Ew. I think that started the movie on a very strong note. <laughs> so after this film, which made what? $25 million or something Bafo. like that? <laughs> That's like $50 million in today's money. John Cherry, who had directed Ernest Goes to Camp, went straight away with his next picture, Ernest Saves Christmas. We talked about it in our previous episode. I do not like it. Terrible. It has only grown <laughs> with more horror as time has gone by. And everyone I talk to goes, oh, that's a good Ernest film. No, you are wrong, because I know what's a good Ernest film. And it was the one that came right after this. Ernest Goes to Jail. You know, I always remembered Ernest Goes to Jail as being the best one. And I, after our negative experience with Ernest Saves Christmas, I definitely went into it with some trepidation this There's like time. sweat. Like you're uh, like, oh no. Yeah. Um, and I got to say, I really liked this movie. <laughs> Ernest Goes to Jail is so much fun. 
To the point that I was scrolling through IMDb afterward, trying to find that outliner that was involved in it that made it as fun as it was. Yeah, yeah. And I can only imagine it's the reaction of Ernest Goes to Camp being a success, Ernest Saves Christmas being a success as well. Even though that it's so different to camp, like it doesn't feel like a real movie. It feels like it was shot like for a grindhouse. Everyone's super sweaty. <laughs> There's like so many random subplots of stuff going on. And Ernest Goes to Jail is like the big budget follow-up. So at the start of the movie, Ernest is a caretaker at a bank, and he dreams of one day being a bank clerk. That's a recurring thing in these <laughs> movies, that he has some shitty job, and then he aspires to a job that really isn't that much better. <laughs> Just a- like Blue Collar America. Apologies to any bank clerks listening. <laughs> Meanwhile, he gets summoned to jury duty, and part of being at jury duty is he has to go look at the local prison where um, one of the uh, alleged crimes took place. However, at the prison exists Ernest Doppelganger, Mr. Nash. Evil Ernest. Also played by Jim Varney, who's on death row. Uh Uh-oh, Ernest finds himself knocked out. Mr. Nash takes his place. And Ernest, as the title promises, is in jail on death row. Now, this plot sounds dumb and goofy. And and it it is. is dumb. (laughs) But... It's also visually opulent and super imaginative. Like, this film is Dick Tracy-level crazy. All the scenes in prison, like, the scenes at the bank look fine. Yeah. But the scenes in prison have this, like, crazy, like, pink and neon and blue and purple color scheme. The guards wear, like, cartoonishly cut suits the entire time. Wild, almost German expressionist camera angles. And this is a film also, right from the get-go, puts its cards on the table with an insane visual set piece where Ernest is like vacuum cleaner brings him up onto the ceiling and you're like wow this is so crazy oh no they're gonna go to the next level because then he gets electrified and a running gag through the film is that he turns into a magnet now I've heard this made fun of over time in like reviews and podcasts this magnet stuff is such a like great idea for comedy it's super funny yeah the, the scene where he's like running around for the bank and the three file cabinets are chasing him <laughs> yeah sorry that's funny and like the way the camera moves is almost like a hong kong comedy from the 80s <laughs> it's like zooming across the floor or the actual camera move is the punchline to a joke, which would not be seen ever again in any of John Cherry's films. This movie has a handful of, I think, really top-notch slapstick bits. My favorite is when he's uh, sitting in jury duty and he starts biting a pen and the, the pen, like, explodes in his face. Then he gra- grabs a piece of paper. It doesn't explode in his face. It just starts to dribble. And then <laughs> it just gets worse and worse as he tries to fix it. That's gold. Oh, great. You know, the, the final big comic set piece where he and Mr. Nash are fighting in the prison and Ernest through uh, circumstances too complicated to explain starts floating. <laughs> he, he actually becomes weightless, which uh, Mr. Nash uses Ernest as like a ball of some sort, <laughs> bouncing him around the uh, bank that they're in, almost like, again, like a Hong Kong oh, yeah. like, wuxia. Or it's thing. like Kung Fu Hustle exactly. almost. <laughs> like a really budget Kung Fu Hustle. I think the storytelling of the movie is like pretty rock solid. We should talk you know? about Jim Varney as a performer. Yeah. Because... When you think of Ernest, you think of just very specific, broad things. Usually his rubbery face and close-up on a wide-angle lens being like, 
You know what I mean? But there's a precision to what he does. And if you just do research on Jim Varney, he didn't get to act in very many things. Like, near the end of his life, he he co-starred in a Sundance drama called 100 Proof that is unavailable anywhere. He also... Uh, was in the Billy Bob Thornton movie Daddy and Them in a dramatic role, but most of his scenes were cut. Mm-hmm. And it also, that was another movie that stayed on the shelf for a long time. Most of his non-earnest movies are just kind of like, you know, shitty direct-to-video, like Three Ninjas, High Noon at Mega Mountain. Or Snowbird Academy. Yeah. He did get a role in the Beverly Hillbillies uh, reboot that was directed by Penelope Spheris, but even then... She wanted him in the movie, and the studio went, mm, I don't know, he's too much earnest, right? Uh-huh. And in that film, he actually plays the straight character against all these wacky characters going on around him. He's good in that movie. He's got a, a gravity and a dignity in that movie. Because as an actor, he does have like control of what he's doing. If you see him in like doing impersonations, like he'll do Peter O'Toole in Ernest Goes to... Goes to the Army. <laughs> That's right. Or... Even in Ernest Goes to Jail, he plays the evil version of himself, but he doesn't really play it for laughs. Uh-huh. He does like a nutty professor, uh, straight villainous character. He's, in Ernest Goes to Jail as Mr. Nash, he's very charismatic, mm-hmm. I think. And I was I was grateful watching Ernest Goes to Jail because I've always regarded Jim Varney as very talented. Mm-hmm. But because most of the Ernest movies are really bad, yes. uh, he has to work super hard to carry them and he's he's a kind of talent that i think would have been better had it been modulated or cared for a little more like you got to give it to jim varney even in the later earnest movies he doesn't phone it in no he's working super hard but there comes a certain sweaty desperation in some of the later ones whereas Whereas, yeah, like in Ernest Goes to Jail, he has a movie to to support him. Yeah, there's a story with stakes. And like the story is good. Yes, it like, is. Like th- there's the B-plot with, uh, with Gaylord Sartain and Bill Burge as the like funny security duo. Who are building these crazy security um, precautions in the bank that, uh-oh, may play into the climax somehow. And we skipped a very important part of Ernest's evolution, which is he got a TV show for kids. Oh, yeah called uh, Hey Vern, It's Ernest, which turned him into a shitty Pee Wee Herman inventor character. Uh, I thought, I think Er Hey Vern, It's Ernest is like the other really good thing in the Ernest franchise. Mm. It is, it is like kind of a budget Pee Wee's Playhouse. And that would explain why that cartoonish style kind of evolved into Ernest Goes to Jail. But I think uh, Ernest Goes to Jail was not regarded as the masterpiece that it is. I mean, how did this get made? Did one of their most famous episodes where they screen things like, how he flies at the end. Why does he fly? Uh, it's a comedy and the film goes to great pains to set that beat up. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like every, the rules of, of the universe of Ernest goes to jail are established. Mm-hmm. Ah, there's this one beat where he's magnetized and a plate full of butter lands in his lap. And then he pretends to like put it on his finger, <laughs> butter a piece of bread oh, fuck, before man. stuffing it in his mouth. There's funny stuff all the way through. Ernest goes to jail when he gets the lobster on his face. Or there's that part when after Mr. Nash has taken over his life, when he gets back to his house and he goes, I've been vandalized by Elvis. <laughs> or what about the part where he's like, he's looking at his whole wardrobe and all his wardrobe are just like denim vests. The whole running gag that they go and visit the jail and he gets knocked out and for like five minutes he keeps going through the process of going through jail thinking it's a tour yeah (laughs) 
oh wow they're serving us food this is great and even the scene where he does a bunch of impressions like like it's funny so the thing about Ernest doing impressions is the films would often get very sweaty to find ways of how to make him do voices and shit like that sometimes it doesn't work like an Ernest saves Christmas well another one like that is Ernest Rides Again where it opens with him like wandering through a forest pretending to be Indiana Jones and he he like sees a construction site from a distance and he's just talking to himself this whole time and he keeps switching back and forth between characters and you watch it and you think that like this is a man who has problems this is a man (laughs) who should not should not be roaming free so Ernest goes to jail made pretty much around the same money that the two previous films made yeah so it was Ernest all the way out like let's just keep churning Ernest films and we're gonna be billionaires by the end of the year nope what ended up happening was the next film, Ernest Scared Stupid, which I enjoy quite a bit. I think it's pretty bad. I, I disagree with Will. <laughs> okay. Um, we watched it at Halloween, and as uh, my partner Emily said in the last episode, we tried to put it on so people would leave, and now everybody sat down and watched all of it. <laughs> I think that it's a different direction to go with Ernest. It also gives him a bunch of characters to play, which is bad. Gives him a bunch of kid sidekicks. Bad. Yeah. But it also puts him against fantastical monsters, which is good. That actually look kind of cool. Eartha Kitt is in it, too. Yes, that's right. That's not nothing. Yeah, I mean, she's starring in a $25 million per film franchise. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't the uh, ooh, rock bottom that it would go on from there. But, you know, I, I see a movie like Ernest Scared Stupid, and I see the seeds of compromise. Mm. I see, uh-oh, Ernest is hanging out with kids. That means Disney is starting to lose confidence. I wish that it had been just like Ernest meets the monsters. Because if he had like... Like Abbott and Costello? Yeah, teed up against um, the Frankenstein monster, uh, and Dracula, yeah. and a werewolf. I think it would probably have more lasting power. It's That one's got the best opening title sequence. Yes, it did. Because you interviewed the uh, credit designer of all the Ernest films. I did, for Art of the Title. And I also spoke on the phone with Mr. John R. Cherry III. The auteur himself. Uh, and I, I felt like we didn't quite have a rapport. Uh, he just didn't really want to talk about the Ernest films? or I, I felt like he... I don't think he quite knew what I was calling about. You know, it, it, it just didn't go that great. It's weird that John Cherry III kept making, and by that I mean directing these films and writing them along with uh, Cook Sam's and I can only imagine it wasn't because he wanted to make great art but that he wanted to like protect his brand. Well, he was an advertising man. Mm-hmm. He he ran and I think maybe even still runs a company called Cardin and Cherry that made commercials. I mean, I was gu- I was going to say that he's not an ideal candidate to be an artist. Yeah. Um, but but who am I to say that? You know, I mean, you look at Ernest goes to jail, and uh, Th- they could have just shit that out. But there's artistry there. Yeah, but but also I've seen the rest of the movies that he made. So Ernest Rides Again was the film that tanked the Ernest franchise. This was also the first one they did after the Disney deal fell apart. And it was released uh, theatrically. Um, this is the Ernest film that Will has described it to me. I haven't seen it as Ernest the General. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's he. Fought, he and a Canadian comedian Ron James find an uh, abandoned Civil War cannon. Or no, no, sorry. It's not a. It, the thing about the cannon. It's been a while since I've seen it, but it's got the real crown jewels of England hidden in it. <laughs> the ones in the Tower of London are frauds, mm. and and so Ernest it has the cannon and he doesn't know he doesn't know what he's got and then there are people chasing him and it's it's really like an action movie like it's Ernest riding a cannon all over British Columbia I mean I watched the trailer and it got me very excited to watch it and I'm like no I can't no no you should you should watch it it's got it's got a hilarious theme song that once was a man named Warrow 
I, th- I think it's one of the okay i haven't seen it in a really long time i think it's one of the better earnest movies and uh, it's it's still shit but it's, i think it's one of the better ones and it also is preceded by a mr bill short film i remember yes. because the cover of the vhs was so generic it almost looked like an earnest compilation tape where it was yeah. just his face with just like stuff falling in front of it yeah that i'm, I'm sure i rented it because i saw that mr bill short in the bottom right corner yeah and following that fiasco, the film ended up grossing a million dollars at the box office. Uh, one of the interesting things about Ernest Rides Again is it's the only movie I've seen that has an actual trailer for the next movie in the franchise <laughs> within the diegesis of the film. What? Like, the movie ends, and then you think the credits are going to start, and then it cuts to Ernest at a blackboard. He goes, Hey, Vern, it's my new movie. Ernest goes to school, and I got a locker, and I got this and that, and that is coming to a theater near you. And then the credits start. Wow! Yeah, like they want to they want to get those kids watching and yeah. make a, their parents buy the next movie, and the, which would go direct to video. Yeah, and I think that those films were done back to back, and I think that's why Coke Sam's directed uh, Ernest Goes to School because Cherry was busy with uh, Rides Again. Ernest Goes to School considered the worst Ernest film. It, it was by me. Uh, I think I think worse came after though. <laughs> I mean, because following that we have Ernest Goes to Africa. And then Slam Dunk Ernest. Starring Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Where reading the synopsis made me laugh uncontrollably. Where (laughs) Ernest gets magic basketball shoes that make him super fast. There's um, a a kind of accidental racism that that starts to become accentuated in the last few films of the Ernest franchise. Uh, It's present in Slam Dunk Ernest and it's really present in Ernest Goes to Africa. Will Jim Varney get in blackface? Brownface. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, he he plays a character named uh, Hey You the Hindu, and he's Oof. got a turban. And uh, uh, I watched uh, probably like twenty minutes of Ernest Goes to Africa on YouTube in preparation for this, and it really just sapped away at my soul. <laughs> but we both watched Jim Varney's final performance as Ernest. Ernest joins the army. <laughs> Ernest in the army. Oh my god! They should have called it Ernest Goes to the Army, even though it's a few too many syllables. Um, so this movie, unfortunately, Jim Varney passed away of lung cancer after it was made. Even though that they were supposed to make a film that was like Ernest the Pirate and like Ernest versus the Voodoo Queen or something like that. Oh, that would have ruled. <laughs> that there's your monster movie. And instead, we get this film, which has all the worst qualities of bad earnest a film where the comedy is all big wide angle close-ups of jim varney just making faces yeah a million subplots that you don't care I, about at all i'm glad you you said that because i actually had a little trouble following this movie <laughs> there's like a reporter there's a young child helping him there's the evil villains there's his general and there's also like a commander of the army yeah and the, yeah there's, there's the the media and there's a ton of things going on the, the movie starts with Ernest working at a golf course as a caretaker and his friend it works in the army and Ernest dreams of riding the big rigs and by the way Jim Varney is I think about 50 years old when this is made and he looks every day of it during an interview he said that they kept trying to keep him the same age as Ernest and I was like, why? Why? Like, Jim Varney looks old as the youngest iteration of Ernest. Just let him look his age. Well, his, in this movie, his friend is telling him he should join the army. And, and Ernest goes, well, I can't join the army. I'm too old. And I was watching it. Thinking, I'm yes. glad you acknowledged it, frankly. It's the elephant in the room. I was very confused at why he joined the army. It seemed uh, very random. Well, do you remember there's the one part where his friend is sitting at the bar and this girl comes up to him and he, he, she, he goes with him. 
army, man. She loves army, and 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 Ernest realize there's there's a really sad moment when Ernest like looks at the TV and he goes, "I wish I had a girlfriend." <laughs> Even though that every Ernest film that I watch seemed to end with him hooking up with a woman. Yeah. Maybe he just can't sustain a relationship. <laughs> yeah. Especially Ernest goes to jail where she's like, she wants that Ernest. Way out of his league. <laughs> yeah. and I, but love him and leave him moral. <laughs> uh, Ernest in the Army is also the only Ernest film that I think acknowledges the existence of one that came before. Because at one point he says, well, I was a camp counselor once. Although that wait, now that I think about Rimshot the Dog appears in two Ernest films. Mm. So there are your your films with continuity. That's right, because Rimshot was in Goes to Jail and Scared Stupid. That's right. Mm. And then I guess Ernest lost him. <laughs> or killed him. <laughs> or ki- yeah, Ernest seems to be not good at the things that he does. Even though that in the early films he was an inventor. That gets kind of put away <laughs> later on. He gets dumber as the series goes on. I mean, we know why. Because in Ernest Scared Stupid, he was cursed. Yes. The Warhol family would get dumber and dumber. That's right. So he Ernest joins the army uh, thinking that he's only going to be in the National Reserve and he's never going to have to go overseas. But it, it turns out an evil Islamic uh, dictator is trying to uh, take over another country and the U.S. Army decides to go in and stop him. Very kind of post-Gulf War stuff. <laughs> very and, topical. And, and shall I say... I very, mean, one general at one point goes, we're going back to get that oil, right? <laughs> and there's a little boy who often speaks of the fact that prophecy foretold that a savior would come and liberate us. <laughs> just like Army of Darkness. And, and and also just like what happened in real life. You know, a, a, a brave Texan uh, went to the Middle East and liberated them and uh and that's what happened that's what happened so this is a film where comedy involves Ernest eating candy and just a massive close-up of his face like, yeah for ages and then he spits the candy out at his sergeant and the sergeant gets candy all over his face <laughs> like the mask <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of scary when I was watching it I was like whoa that sergeant's gonna die how could he breathe in that thing there's another scene where Ernest tries to make pancakes for the soldiers but he makes it wrong so that they're super heavy and you see Jim Varney like doing some expert pantomime where he's like pretending to lift a super heavy pancake I'd like to point out that this is one Ernest film that pays off all the gags it sets up earlier because the climax <laughs> brings back the mines it brings back his golf job <laughs> it brings back the pancakes you know what good A film. plus screen you're right you're right it's, no, it's, a it's not a good film it, it stays there weightless it, boring <laughs> there's a James Bond parody for some reason it's such a chore to look at like there's there's like it, it's very dingy and beigey i think it's shot on video mm. it looks awful and there's nothing to look at except jim varney's hideous face <laughs> even though when i was complaining in ernest saves christmas there wasn't enough jim varney oh. this one has a lot <laughs> monkey's paw he's not given much to do he does um get a chance to you know, bring out his Peter O'Toole impersonation for the kids, I guess. That yeah. Lawrence of Arabia material. But that's pretty much it. I gotta hand it to Varney, though. He worked really hard. Even a movie like this, he's just desperately trying to inject some life into it. And and I, I regret that he wasn't given more and better opportunities. Because, as we learned this week, he wanted to be a Shakespearean actor. You can actually find a clip on YouTube of him doing some Shakespeare for just, like, a news segment that was done on him. And you're like, oh, wow, this guy has some chops. He should have been given a chance to do this kind of stuff and nope Ernest was such a specific character that I feel like it was a box that he couldn't escape and from the way that people talk about him he enjoyed the attention of being Ernest so much that it wasn't something he was going to give up 
Well, he I read an article where he talked about how he loved to uh, meet sick kids as part of the Make-A-Wish uh, foundation, you know, in character as Ernest. And and that's very touching. Uh, but also, you know, Ernest was a revenue stream for mm-hmm. him. Um, I'm sure he had a love-hate relationship with the franchise. In this one interview you can find online um, that he did on a radio during the shooting of Snowboard Academy, <laughs> at one point the guy goes, oh, have you tried to, like, be in Kenneth uh, Branagh's Shakespeare movies? And Jim Varney goes, oh, I tried for Othello and I got really close. <laughs> and I was like, wait, wait, wait. I couldn't tell if he was joking, joking. or not. He had to be joking, right? Maybe he, he referred to having really enjoyed Henry V. Yeah. So. so what that makes me feel like if Jim Varney had gone in not as Jim Varney, not as Ernest, he could have probably maybe gotten some of these roles. And yet Ernest, you know, is such a specific creation. To, to, to see Ernest is to remember him for the rest of your life. But I also feel like Ernest is a character that will have no shelf life. Like children will not be rediscovering Ernest films and falling in love with them all over again. Why is that? I, I think it's very specific to this one era when he came out. And I don't know why. I mean, I think the popularity... Of the character is for me and for you as well came from the fact that he was just his face on all these VHS covers and that like you can't see Jim Carrey right now. So why don't you just see this uh, southern version of Jim Carrey? Yeah, yeah, I wonder. It would be it would be so weird to like try to show an earnest movie to a kid these days. I don't know, man. I, 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 mean, I, just, he does I just don't know. slapstick, right? And it's not filled with references or yeah. anything. So maybe it can live on, but I feel like it's not something that kids will be experiencing. Like, they're not going to be stumbling upon Ernest on television either. So What a tragedy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he kept working. He said that while he was shooting, like, his final films, he was still doing commercials as Ernest. Unbelievable. That's crazy. Uh, maybe before we end this, uh, just a, as a coda to the conversation, John R. Cherry III attempted to do a couple of revivals of the Ernest character. Uh, I remember about 10 years ago, there were some uh, videos on YouTube of the new Ernest, who is just some other Southern guy. <laughs> what? Be- no. Bears. Yeah, yeah. From I, I tried to find them today, but they weren't, they're not there anymore. It was yeah, sh- probably because he deleted them in shape. Probably. And then and then you showed me this one where it's like a CGI animated Ernest. Um, and there was even an announcement like five years ago that they were going to do Son of Ernest, which is just a really funny thought that like <laughs> Ernest ejaculated into a woman and, and created a son. Listen, Ernest fucks. <laughs> like he has to, right? <laughs> That's the sound he makes when he fucks. <laughs> and I would be remiss if I didn't point out that I found a clip of Jerry Lewis and Jim Varney sharing the stage. On Pink Lady and Jeff. Yeah, which was a variety show which starred two Japanese pop stars who couldn't speak any English. A a very notorious disaster, I think. So, yeah, it was great to see, you know, like... uh, uh, like De Niro and Pacino in Heat, you know? Yeah, and this is King of Comedy era Jerry Lewis as well. Yeah, so, so looking a little worse for wear, I think. <laughs> Boy, I need to cool down from that uh, intense, earnest discussion. Do you, Do we have any letters this week? <laughs> we do have some. Let me just pull them up. As usual, you can contact us at importantcinemaclubpodcast at gmail.com. I hope if this podcast does anything... It's that people listening for an ironic pleasure of us talking about how bad Ernest films are will actually go and watch Ernest uh, Goes to Jail. Like, watch the HD widescreen version to better appreciate uh, some of the visual stuff in it. And yeah, just go in with an open mind, get ready to laugh. So we have one letter here from a longtime letter writer, Adam Mele, and he goes, Hey, 
I was wondering if you guys had ever considered doing an episode on older directors. Is there something that connects later period works of Dario Argento, Alain René, Woody Allen, and Clint Eastwood? Is there wisdom necessarily to be found, or do people just end up making fifth-generation photocopies of earlier works? Do you agree with Edward Said that there's something unsettled about later works? Ah, a favorite <laughs> topic of mine. Uh, so we've talked about this a little bit because many of the directors that uh, was mentioned, we actually did episodes on. Mm. Um, like Dario Argento, his later work is bad. Yeah, uh, I know that somebody like Quentin Tarantino often says wrongly, I think, that directors are like boxers and they have a shelf life. Mm. Um, I mean, I think... There, there are many examples of directors who did really good late work. Uh, you know, Akira Kurosawa, Orson Welles. Those are the two I can think of. I think Jean-Luc Godard. Yeah, Jean-Luc Godard's doing interesting stuff. Uh, but yeah, there are also a ton of directors who got very stale. I think it probably has something to do with, you know, somebody like uh, a Woody Allen doesn't get out much anymore. I think so, some somebody like him, he's... He he kind of got set in his ways. In she the hadn't 80s. really studied her Freudian test. But. <laughs> yeah, and I think a lot of it just has to do with like keeping engaged, keeping connected with the world, seeing what the new developments are. Now, someone like Clint Eastwood isn't making good movies anymore, but he's weirdly challenging himself in odd ways. Like the fact that his new movie about the terrorist attack that happened on a French train, he actually cast all the real life people who are not actors playing themselves yeah i think um i mean i i like some of his late movies more than others jersey boys i actually haven't seen jersey boys <laughs> someone uh, once described it as like a dog <laughs> suffering to death in a hot car with the windows closed yeah um but but i don't know I, I he definitely seems engaged although now that i'm talking about it do you remember what brian de palma said in the de palma documentary no he said uh when you get right down to it the, the director's best movies are made when they're in their 30s, their 40s, and their 50s. And he said, you can say whatever you like about Alfred Hitchcock's later movies. They're not as good as the ones he was making in his 30s, 40s, hmm. and 50s. Um, I think oftentimes that's probably regrettably true. Mm -hmm. There's um, a passion there that when you're hungry and you're making movies that will result in work that's not the same when you're just trying to either just pump something out to continue working or you're desperately trying to stay relevant, which is a different kind of sad. Yeah, I like Otto Preminger is a great example of somebody, or Francis Ford Coppola, somebody else who like didn't get better when they got older. But but I mean I don't know like um, even sometimes when they're not as good, uh, like you know what Edward Said said with his with his book about late style, uh, there could be. Uh, an idiosyncratic quality. Yeah, like an Adam Agoyans remember, right? I was thinking more like uh, Jerry <laughs> Lewis is cracking up. Or, you know, even even like Wonder Wheel, which I saw uh, two weeks ago. Like, it's not a very good movie, but it is so kind of, um, it is so much a Woody Allen movie mm. when such a thing is no longer fashionable that it's... It's just, a bad man. Yeah, the bad man. Like it, it's so Woody Allen that, that I almost look at it and I'm like, well, you know, there you're still you're, you're still being true to yourself, and that's that's interesting. Thank you very much for your letter, Adam. Again, you can send us letters at Important Cinema Club Podcast at gmail.com. Questions, comments, go on iTunes, write us a review, please. Let that be your Christmas gift to us. Yeah. Or actually, if you'd rather not do that. Your Christmas gift to us could be subscribing to our Patreon. Yeah. And maybe just sending me more money. <laughs> By PayPal? Yeah, yeah. Send that money to importantcinemaclubpodcast at gmail.com. Like, don't you guys feel a little guilty that you've got so many hours of free entertainment? <laughs> 
So this week on our Patreon, we're talking about Star Wars because you haven't heard about that enough. Um, it was a movie that we both saw this week, yes. so that made it very convenient. And shocker, Will liked it. You won't know unless you listen to our Patreon episode about it, which for $5 a month, you get a new episode every week. And I'm just letting people know that, man, we're going to have some fun ones this coming up. So are we? Yes, we are. Yes, we are. We are. (laughs) Will, you got to sell this shit. (laughs) Come on. You think these Christmas presents are free? You're right. You're right. So if you enjoy the podcast and you even, you think that you have enough of us, you're like, I don't need an extra 20 minutes every week. Give us money anyway. Like if you listen every week. $5. Um, You know, old man Potter stole uh, Justin's money and uh, things are looking bad for him. Old man Potter? You know, like It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, that's right. Yeah, Christmas. I thought you were talking about like the uh, rabbit that steals all the carrots or something like that. No, no, I was trying to suggest that you were like at the side of a bridge about to kill yourself. (laughs) Oh, sure. So I know that all the important Cinema Club Super fans are really excited because this is episode 99. What does that mean, Will? What's episode 100 of Important Cinema Club? The long-awaited Jackie Chan Spectacular. <laughs> oh my god. Our episodes haven't been very rigorous lately, have they? <laughs> nope. <laughs> okay, 100, 101 has to... Right, well, we'll probably do a best of 2017 mm. episode after that. Right? Yeah, that's right. But then 100, 102 is going to be some like serious art house shit. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So. <laughs> yeah, we've basically <laughs> just been feasting for the last 10 episodes on the topics that we love. Yeah. But Jackie Chan... This is the one that almost everybody has mentioned in emails over the last few months. Mm-hmm. But we're here, and we're going to do it. We're going to break down Jackie Chan's uh, career by, like, you know, eras. Yeah. We, I made a list of movies we have to watch. It's like six or seven films. Oh, good God. <laughs> well, hey, that that's catnip for me. Yeah. Can't wait to watch the tuxedo again. But because it's so rigorous, we're going to take a week off. Also, the holidays. I did not think that the 100th episode was going to fall over the Christmas break. Mm -hmm. Will has to go to his house. My parents need to know that I'm alive. But during that time, we'll be doing research, watching movies, just basically Rocky montaging it out for that Jackie Chan 100th episode. Everything you would have ever wanted to know about Jackie Chan. Do you understand the words coming out of my mouth? (laughs) Oh, man, I can't wait to talk about that. (laughs) A big 30-minute discussion about the roots of the success of that line. Until then, my name is Justin McClue. I'm Will Sloan. Thanks for listening. So it's that time of year, Will. Uh, everybody's releasing their best of list, which is weird to me because it's coming out in December. Like, don't doesn't that usually happen in January? Yeah. Um, my Twitter feed has been full of people like debating the merits of Phantom Thread, a movie that I don't think opens here until like January 12th. <laughs> it doesn't. So it's like, shut the fuck up, for God's sake. <laughs> Do you feel a kind of pressure to seeing all the movies before you make a top 10 list? You know what? I do. And why do I feel that way? It's not like I it matters. I look back at even the list we set on Important Cinema Club and I'm like, why did I put these movies on, on this list? Frankly, I'm feeling a little pressure this year because I, I'm having trouble filling out the top 10 list this year. Really? Well, there are still a few that I have to see. I mean, I, I've probably seen fewer movies in, in a theater than I did in, in the previous year. Mm-hmm. I, you know got two podcasts i've got an active social life uh something's got to give i mean looking at people's top 10 lists is often filled with me going well i didn't get to watch that movie yet like call me by your name came out didn't get a chance to see it yeah ain't gonna be on my top 10 list because i haven't been able to see it and you know last weekend i saw wonder wheel (laughs) 
So, so I'm, I'm making... <laughs> That's going to squeeze right in on your top ten list. So I'm making time for, you know, the things that matter. So it's not... Because you listen to different people and they're like, oh, I had to make it a top 20 this year to be able to um, wow. put enough movies on it. I, I think the whole point of a top ten list is that it's ten. Yes. You know, so and, it's got to be exclusionary. Mm-hmm. And the idea is that... And we've talked about this before, is that I've always approached it as a kind of recommendation machine, which is like, I think you should go see these movies. Mm. Not necessarily like, these are the most fun movies, or these are the films that moved me the most, which it all depends on how like top ten lists work. Because otherwise, the list exists just for, look how smart I am. Look at these movies I've seen that you haven't seen yet. I, I, and don't put fucking Twin Peaks on your list, because yeah, that's not a movie. I was actually just going to ask you about that. I like oftentimes, like, the lists follow a very rigorous format, where it's like, number 10 is, like, the wacky contrarian choice. Mm. You know, number 6 is, you know, the very acclaimed movie that the the writer of the list doesn't really like that much. <laughs> is but that it, how it works? Yeah, I, I think, think so. I think that. so, when, when you look at it. Uh, number 2 is the one that should be number Number one, and then <laughs> n- number one is the one that sort of makes a statement, you know? Oh, okay. So yeah. number two will probably be the post for you. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, a... n- number one is the trailer for Ready Player One. <laughs> you excited for Ready Player One? <sighs> I, well, you know, the, like... Are you going to, like, shake your shoulders and go... Uh, I mean, you're going to see it ironically in theaters well, on Tuesday. I mean, I see Steven Spielberg's movies. I Did you see the BFG? Yeah, I did. I did not even see that one. I didn't hate it. Mm. Yeah. Um, you know, I think Steven Spielberg, I mean, the the, the medium has degraded so much that uh, I think Steven Spielberg is really one of the best filmmakers, mm. uh, you know, working in the studio system these days. But what, Do you remember when he used to be regarded as almost like this, like, antichrist figure? I mean, it was before our time, but like, in the 80s, mm. people would say, oh, look at this. Well, he destroyed cinema. Yeah, he destroyed cinema. But now, I mean, a movie like Bridge of Spies is like so much better than most movies being made. And the thing about Bridge of Spies is that while it is Spielbergian in its way, it's also very low-key. But that feels like Spielberg is trying to fight the perception of himself in his older age trying to make movies like uh, Lincoln. Nowadays I think he wants to be like a John Ford type filmmaker mm-hmm. like he's like America's filmmaker. Wow, I mean, with Ready Player One he feels like Steve Buscemi like going to school dressed as a teenager. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because unless the film ends with Steven Spielberg himself coming out and looking right at the audience and, be, and going, you're a piece of shit for liking these this stuff? Is this what you want to see? Like, w- what looks embarrassing about Ready Player One is the fact that the book, which I haven't read... It's it, awful. I've heard. And it's clearly a tribute to the kind of um, thing that Spielberg represents. So I could imagine Spielberg reading this love letter to himself and being like, wow, I would love to make this love letter to myself into a movie. <laughs> And that's so embarrassing to me. You think so? Yeah. Do you think that he never had that uh, point of realization where someone tapped him on the shoulder and went, Steven, this is bad. I mean, no one can do that, Nobody knows that to him. No. No. So he just lives in a cloud of, like, everybody being like, yes, or yeah, whatever you say, Steven. I think so. Like, I I once saw a documentary about Paul McCartney Mm. um, where... Who was following him around when he did the concert for nine eleven, and he was and he was showing off this um, this new song that he did, where he's like, boom, boom, talking about freedom, land of the brave, home of the free, and he's like playing it to I don't know Bill Clinton and <laughs> Eric Clapton, and and they're all kind of just like nodding at him, <laughs> because what do you gotta do? You gotta say no to Paul McCartney. I would love to know who the like naysayers in the Spielberg circle are. There's got to be one or two. Um, or he's like eliminated them. He's yeah, like, get out, John Landis. He's not there anymore. <laughs> no, 
Spielberg just looks at Landis and goes, I can't be- look at your son. <laughs> I can't trust your opinion. I think they fell out after the uh, Twilight Zone incident. Mm. Yeah. I mean, uh, does he still hang out with George Lucas? Do rich people hang out? There was a story. Remember I shared it with you about One-Eyed Jacks and like a bunch of, of famous rich filmmakers emailing themselves being like, ooh, I think it's going to come out on DVD on this label. Or oh, wow. I think there'll be like a Blu-ray release of it here. It's just like us. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, maybe they, that does still exist, but I don't know. Like when you're famous for that long, you're on top of the world for like, I don't know, 40 years, 45 years. You remember that quote um, by the Paul Schrader said where he had dinner with Martin Scorsese and Scorsese said to him, I pretty much only wear a bathrobe or a tuxedo these days. 